TorahCafe.com. You know, in relationships, husbands always have the last word, but it's usually in the form of an apology. <laughs> and the same thing with our relationship with God. How do we end off the year? We arrive the month of Elul, the last month of the year before Rosh Hashanah. And what's the last thing? We have the last word. What, are we, what do we leave off with? Lots of I'm sorry's. We look back at our year and we think, how could I have done such a thing? Then comes Rosh Hashanah, new year, fresh starts. We are renewed, individually, spiritually, recharged, and excited and ready to serve God once more. Ready to reconnect with our mission, with a regenerated excitement. Then comes Long Im Kippur, just a few days later. We're saying I'm sorry again. This is when we really take a deep look at ourselves and say, I really don't know how I could have done all this. And we make amends and we project and make resolutions for the future that this year is going to be a different year. I'm going to be better. You know, in the Talmud, Yom Kippur is different categorically than all the other holidays. All the other holidays, when they have a volume assigned for that day, it's named after the holiday. For example, the tractate, the volume that speaks all about the laws and customs of Rosh Hashanah is called Tract Rosh Hashanah. About Sukkot, Gemara Sukkah. About Pesach, Sochim. It's named after the holiday. When it comes to Yom Kippur, there's no tractate Yom Kippur. It's just called Yuma, which means the day. Just the day. The day of days. It's the holiest day of the year. Now, on the holiest day of the year, come right in. Hi. There's uh, two seats right there for you. On the holiest day of the year, the question is, what are we meant to do? And what are we meant to think about? You know, it comes every year, and people flock to the synagogue. But what really are we meant to do? And what are we meant to think about? What should be on our minds? And beforehand, what could we perhaps meditate on a little bit? Think about, think through our system. In Judaism, we don't believe in linear time. Most of the world, when you ask them, think about time, a lifetime, a historical timeline. It's just that, a timeline. History is linear. There's the distant past, there's the now, and the distant future. One long line. But in Judaism, we believe in something called circular time. Cyclical time. Where every year, when we arrive at a certain day, the energy that was contained in that original day, what made that original day special, shows itself every year on that day. Meaning every Yom Kippur, just like every Rosh Hashanah and every Pesach, the energy of the original day, of what made that day special, is present here and now. There are certain truths that are universal and that although we may not follow them to the T, at least as they exist today, their truth still shines forth. For example, astrology started off as a Jewish thing. We're not going to get too into that tonight, but let's just conceptually think about one idea. On all 12 months of the Jewish calendar, represented by a certain sign. You ever notice, if you look, I don't recommend anybody look at their horoscope, but if you did look at your horoscope, you ever notice that your horoscope date is in the middle of the months? Yeah. It's like November 15th through December 17th. Yeah. Why is it in the middle? Why isn't it just December have 
its own sign, and November have its own sign, and January have its own sign? Well, probably because they were started off with a different calendar. So in Judaism, every month has its sign, and it's so amazing that each of the holidays line up so perfectly, energy-wise, concept-wise, with what that sign is. We start with Elul. Elul falls out usually August, September time. Elul's sign is Virgo. Virgo, so the sign is the Virgin. And the whole purpose of Elul, the month before Rosh Hashanah, the last month of the year, is trying to reconnect with the self, to get back to that state of purity, to find that place within that is untainted and pure, that virgin within. Then comes the month of Tishrei, with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the high holidays. Anybody know what the sign for Tishrei is? It's Libra. Libra is the scale. Scales of judgment. So there are certain universal truths that although as time has passed in the rest of the world they have become convoluted and misconstrued, they still have the parallel. We could still see a remnant of it in Judaism. So this month Tishrei, the scales of judgment, is a very powerful month. Indicative in the energy of Tishrei is that scale of judgment. Big deal. It's the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. Seven, as we know, especially in Jewish, Jewish mystical literature, seven is what's regarded as a very auspicious number. A number of completion. In fact, basically everything in the natural order exists in sevens. Seven days in a week. Seven years in a sabbatical year cycle. Seven continents. Seven notes on the music scale. Seven colors of the rainbow. So the visual spectrum, the musical spectrum, the geographical spectrum, when we want completion, the number seven is where it's found. So Tishrei, the seventh month, is a month of completion, a month of tremendous power. In fact, in the book of Malachim, the book of Kings, in the Bible, Tishrei is what's called Yerech Ha'esanim, the month of power, the month of strength. It's a very auspicious and powerful month. The energy that's available to us at this time is extremely powerful and palatable. In Tishrei, it's an Aramaic word that means to release. So the name of this month, Tishrei, Aramaic means to release. God's releasing us from all the secured and accrued transgressions of the year. We're being released from that, if we do it right. We're released from the bounds of attaining any type of spiritual experience with God. In fact, the word Tishrei in Hebrew is spelled Tuf, Shin, Resh, Yud. Tuf is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Shin is the second to last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Resh is the third to last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we're slowly climbing back. So even somebody who's fallen in this year all the way to the Tuf, all the way to the end of the alphabet, can use this month as a means of climbing back step by step, tough to shin, shin to resh, backwards, backtracking all the way to the yud, which is representing of God. We can make our way back step by step. It's a month of return, a month of getting back to who we are, and a month of finding ourselves in divine favor. Every year, we have 10 magical days. From Rosh Hashanah all the way to Yom Kippur, it's called the Aseris Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of penitence. Days of magic. Days not like any other that exist in the whole year. Every person, every Jew, has a little spark inside. A little flame that can never go out always wants to do the right thing, always trying to do the right thing. And even 
the person who you think, ah, they're so unaffiliated, disconnected, whatever words and adjectives we use to describe, you see sometimes that that person, the fire never really went out. There are events, there are times in life where that flame arises, where that flame becomes much bigger. During the Aserasime Tshuva, the 10 days of penitence, that little spark within us becomes a bonfire. People who don't know what a synagogue is or don't know what one looks like somehow find their way one, they find their way to one Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's a very special time of year. In fact, there are seven weekdays. Three of the days are holidays, Yom Tif, two days of Rosh Hashanah, and one day of Yom Kippur. And then you have weekdays in between, a full week of days that are not Yom Tif. And each of those days, each Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Shabbos that exists in there, each day corresponds to that day of the prior year. Meaning that the Monday in the Yisraeli Shuva makes up for all the Mondays of this past year. Tomorrow when you wake up, Tuesday, okay, don't forget, that make, that's making up for all the Tuesdays of this past year. So make sure it's a good Tuesday. Want to be on your best behavior. And the truth is, if a person wants, it can make up for all the Tuesdays of their entire life. It's a time of tshuva. It's not limited just to the year. If a person wants to, it can make up for all the Tuesdays of their past life. That's the energy we can get to this, this time of year. It's right at our fingertips. So these 10 days, just like all the other 10s that we see in Judaism, is also a sign of completion. Not completion of the natural order, but completion of the heavenly. God, God expresses himself to us in 10 faculties, in 10 ways. God created the world through 10 utterances. He gave us 10 primary commandments written in stone. Contained within them are all the intricacies of all the other laws. So 10 is completions from heaven. So in the seventh month, we also have completion upstairs and downstairs. We're all set to go. So let's talk about some Yom Kippur essentials. What are we even celebrating on Yom Kippur? What, not, I don't want to use the word celebrate. What are we commemorating on Yom Kippur? It's not like a party, right? But in some ways it is. You know, someone wanted to ask me not too long ago, last week, says, is, is Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, are they happy days or are they sad days? I said, well, Depends how you define happy and sad. And I don't know that those are the only two emotions that existed in our whole spectrum of emotions. Either happy or sad. There, can, there is no else. I said they're both serious days. They're days of praying. They're days of reevaluating. That doesn't make them sad days. In fact, I would say the opposite. They're very happy days. Rosh Hashanah, time of renewal. Yom Kippur, time of forgiveness, starting off with a clean slate. That's awesome. <clears throat> So they are very serious, but I would say they're very happy days. What happened in Yom Kippur, the first Yom Kippur, the energy that we are circle, circling back towards, is that Moses came down with the second set of tablets. Moses goes up the mountain the first time. God presents the Torah in front of the entire nation. Moses goes up to get the actual inscribed on the tablets comes down 40 days later, Jewish people are worshipping a golden calf. Tablets are broken. Moses has to plead for forgiveness. And eventually, Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of Elul, goes back up on the mountain. Stays back up 40 days, 40 nights once more. Comes down with the second tablets 40 days later, which we call Yom Kippur. Just like the Jewish people were originally forgiven for the things that they had did wrong, done wrong with the golden calf, that first Yom Kippur. So too, just the energy of the air of Yom Kippur every single year is a time of forgiveness. There's forgiveness in the air. It's also the day that the decree, what's going to be with us for the year, is sealed. Rosh Hashanah, it's written. Yom Kippur, it's sealed. Yom, Yom Kippur is 
also considered a glimmer of the world to come. You know, we're sinless beings that day. We're like angels. We don't eat, we don't drink. Because we have the status, we achieve the status of angels, we act like angels as well. Many people also, by the way, just as a parenthetical warning, are under the misconception that any 25 or 26 hours that you fast is the fast. It doesn't work like that. There's a very specific time where the holiday starts. There's a very specific time where it finishes. It starts this year in plantation at 7.10, fast starts, ends 8.02 on Saturday night. So a person should keep that in mind, not just say, well, I haven't eaten since 3 o'clock on Friday, so I'll break my fast 3 o'clock Saturday. It doesn't work like that. It's a very specific time where we have this achievement, where we've reached the level of angels, so might as well use it to its max and not eat during that period of time. Before Adam, in the beginning, Adam and Eve times, before Adam and Eve did their infamous sin of eating from the tree of knowledge, everything was the same. Meaning, all times, all places, and all people were equally holy. Everything was filled with holiness. Then they messed up. And the way that Jewish mysticism describes it is that all the energy in the world that was good and all the energy in the world that was not revealed good got mishmashed together until you had things that were nothing was completely good nothing was completely everything was a mishmash of good and bad potentials since that time there are times that are holier than others there are places that are holier than others and there are people that are holier than others even within the Jewish people take the Jewish people for example we have Cohen Levi Yisrael Cohen the priest the top of the top of the scale he's the one who did the service in the Holy Temple he has a special status and amongst the Cohen amongst the the priest you have the Cohen Godzal the high priest the holiest man in the world within the lands within the geographic locations so you have the world at large then Israel is a step holier within Israel Jerusalem is holier within Jerusalem the temple spot is holier and within the temple spot the holy of holies the place where God's presence rests the nexus between the physical and the spiritual worlds holiest place and holy days there are days, there are regular weekdays, then there's Shabbos, Shabbat, well, there's Yom Tov and there's Shabbos, and then there's the holiest, holiest day of the year, Shabbos of Shabbos, it's Yom Kippur. So what would happen in temple times was the holiest man, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, would go to the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, and atone personally for each of our transgressions of our nation. Now the fact that we don't have that anymore doesn't negate the fact that we are forgiven. The energy in the air is still forgiveness. In fact, in the world and within ourselves, we have, I don't know if everyone in the class is familiar, Barbara is not familiar with this, but everyone else has what's called an evil inclination. We have the, we'll call it the snake within and the snake without. Meaning there are certain situations that we find ourselves in the world that are alluring to us to stray us off the good and right path, things that we should be doing, should be talking about and should be thinking about. But you know, you find yourself in the wrong place or with the wrong people. It could be, unless you're Barbara, that you're, you're gonna go off the path. And we also have that snake within. In Judaism, this is what we call the satan. The inclination. The bad inclination. Satan, like as in Satan. In other religions, it's like, ooh, the devil. You think pitchforks and, you know, horns and whatever. None of that. 
but it's the inclination within to do what we shouldn't be doing. The satan. Same word, completely different meaning. What's interesting is that the word, we know Kabbalistically, that if you take the numeric equivalent of a word, you can get tremendous meaning from it. It, can, it tells us uh, tremendous depths about reality by investigating it. So the word hasatan, the Satan, has the numeric value of 364. 364. Meaning that the Satan has power over us 364 days a year. One day doesn't have over us. Yom Kippur. This is how the Marsha in the Gemara Yuma says. So, one day a year, we're free from those bounds, we're free from that attack. So how does a person get on the right path? We all want to do the right thing. Nobody says to themselves, you know what? I want to be a jerk this year. I want to do all the wrong things. Maybe there's some people like that, but most people are genuinely trying to do the right thing. And how do we get on the right path? How do we make amends? When we do something that we really shouldn't do, it, it affects us. And the reason for that is because Torah, in Judaism, Torah is considered the blueprint of creation. Just as an architect makes a blueprint and creates the house based on the blueprint, so too God made this Torah, this will, if you will, and from that blueprint, that's how the world was constructed. So what appears to be right in my eyes may be completely different than how the architect sees in the blueprint. The Torah is kind of our prescription in life, our night vision goggles, if you will. It helps us see through the thickness, the fog of the darkness of our world. A lot of confusing things going on in our world, always. Confusing ideas, things and people that appear to be genuine and wonderful and great are just the opposite. People who sometimes appear to be low lives and, and terrible and whatever are wonderful people and wonderful events and wonderful happenings. We live in a very confusing world. It's very easy to get mixed up in thinking that something is good and it's really not good for us and the opposite. If you will, the Torah is like our prescription in life. God is our doctor and the Torah is our prescription. These are the things you want to have a good, healthy, spiritual life. Here's your prescription. Simple as that. Do these 613 mitzvahs, do these 613 commandments, you're going to have a very spiritually fulfilling life. Sounds easy enough, right? When we do things that we shouldn't do, those things, it's like taking things that aren't part of our prescription. It clouds our spiritual sensitivity. When we have, when we're doing all the things that we need to be doing, we have an open pipeline upstairs. Very clear, we have clarity in the world, we have clarity in our life, peace of mind, peace with our family, peace with the world around us. So easy, just follow the Torah. When we do, when we do, when we, when we do what we want to do, we go outside what the prescription says. The prescription, well, I know better than the doctor. How many times do we say that? I'll Google, I'll, you know, I'll Google better what the doctor told me. So we think we know better. I know what's good for me. I don't need no prescriptions. Fine. But it clouds our spiritual sensitivity. That's what it does. When we neglect a positive mitzvah, a command, a, a, an opportunity to do the right thing, put on tefillin, light Shabbos, candles, whatever it is, we got to utilize those moments. Do our best to be climbing the ladder. And when we do something 
that the Torah says that we shouldn't do, and we do it anyway, ay, 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 ay. It brings a blemish in our life. Like, like if a person were to take prescription that wasn't prescribed to them. It's very interesting that in Hebrew, the word eres, aleph, resh, samach, which means a venom or a poison, has the same letters as iser, aleph, samach, resh, which means prohibition. When we engage in something that we shouldn't be doing, it's like swallowing a poison for our spiritual life. It's taking part of a prescription that wasn't prescribed to us. Medicine is great, but the medicine that you need for you is what your doctor prescribes you. If a person takes another kind of medicine, even if it's legal medicine, we're not even talking about bad medicine, it's legal medicine, but it's not prescribed for you, do serious damage. That's to your physical life. How much more so when it comes to our spiritual life? We have a very clear directive how we're meant to live. Not like a ball and chain, but these are the good ideas that will make, it e make, make us have an easy spiritual life. A clear perspective of how to walk and how to go. So how do we make amends? So, because except for Barbara, I think all of us maybe have to think, you know, this year, we could have been better. Not to specify each individual thing right now, you could do that in your own time, but right now, let's just talk briefly about how does one go about making amends? What does that mean? It's very much human nature. What's our human nature? We want to pass the blame. It's not my fault. Well, I was uh, he, I wouldn't have done it, but he told me to, and she died. That's our human nature. I didn't want to. First human beings. Very first human beings. Adam and Eve, sitting in the Garden of Eden. Adam eats from the tree. First Eve does, tempted by the snake. T tells Adam, here, I got a yummy treat for you. Here's some fruit. Adam eats it. God's not so happy. Adam runs and hides. God says, Adam, where are you? Rashi says, he's just trying to engage him in conversation, let him come out and admit himself and say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to. He, so he comes, you know, what does he say? He says, you know that woman you gave me? <laughs> she... Uh, so, don't pass the blame. You know, when we do things that we shouldn't do, gotta live up to it. You know, people also don't feel remorse. A few years ago, they did a study in Philadelphia where they took 2,000 individuals who had done severe crimes. We're talking murder, the worst of the worst. 1,200 of them were counseled. 1,200, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever. Ten of them showed remorse at the end of it. It's, it's like so foreign to our society. Me? Sorry? It was his fault. Or if my parents would have been different. Or if I would have lived in a different neighborhood. Or if I would have known different people. Or if my teacher was nice to me. Or if my uh, whoever. Own up to yourself. Modern psychology takes guilt completely out of lexicon. No such thing as guilt. Everyone's right. No matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, you're right. Blame everybody but you. You're perfect. Ron, doesn't that sound like modern psychology? You know, in our life, even if we do do something that we know we shouldn't do, or say something we know we really shouldn't have said, or think something we shouldn't have thinked. The first time we do it, we might feel guilty about it. The second time, a little less guilty. By the third time, it's a mitzvah already. <laughs> you know, we become so desensitized so quickly. It's time to take a step back and look at, look at different things in our life. This is what I'm involved in. 
This is where my enthusiasm lies in life. What am I doing with myself? Where can I improve? Everyone's off to a great start, by the way. Coming to a Torah class at the beginning of the year, that is definitely a step in the right direction. You know, the Nazi, head Nazi officer Himmler, writes in his diaries as well that the point of no return for him was when he could go to bed and not feel any guilt. And that's an extreme example, obviously. But I'm saying in our own lives, we do things so many times, we become, things become so part of our routine and so, so uh, by rote. And that's obviously you know, an extreme, extreme, terrible example. But in our own lives as well, in a much, much smaller way, we, we find that we become so accustomed to doing th certain things, whether they're good for us or not, that we don't feel anything about it anymore. It's like a mitzvah. It's, keep going. So, when it comes to Yom Kippur also, it's important to know that it only helps with this forgiveness thing, only helps with those things that we did that we shouldn't have done against God. If you were nasty or a jerk to this person, you can't go to God and ask forgiveness. God, I'm sorry I called that person a jerk in public, in front of a lot of people. You gotta go to them and apologize. Or because you cheated somebody. God, I'm sorry I cheated them. Go ask them! Talk to God about stuff that you did to him. Or that I did to him. But for person, so before Yom Kippur, it's a good idea to also, any, any debts that you have towards people or things that weren't so good between people, if you can, it is a good idea to try and make amends between people as well. When it comes to trying to get reignited and make amends with oneself, with other individuals, or with God, we have three R's. Three steps, the three R's. Number one is recognition of our past shortcomings. Number two is reversal of one's conduct. And number three is the resolution to change in the future. The three R's. Pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Recognition of past shortcomings. Reversal of one's conduct. Don't do it anymore. And resolution to change in the future. Think, how am I going to be different? Practically. You know, we just had Rosh Hashanah. So, last week, on one of the days, I was talking to some people. I said, what's your New Year's resolution? I said, don't, and don't give me a, a theoretical one. One that sounds nice but really means nothing. I plan to be a nicer person. What does that even mean? I'm going to be good this year. Okay, how? <laughs> Please specify one thing, practically, that you're going to do to be good. I believe you, and I know you want to do the right thing. And I want to do the right thing. But it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. If we don't specify something clearly, what practically am I going to do? I'm going to come Monday nights to Torah classes. Oh, good thought. I'm going to do an extra mitzvah. I'm going to light Shabbos candles. I'm going to put on tefillin, whatever. Whatever it is, whatever your connection is, whatever your idea is. The main thing is we have to be stepping up the ladder this year. And that when next Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur comes, we can't look back to, to right now and say, am I exactly the same person? Maybe I put on a little weight. But am I ex the exact same person inside? Am I exactly where I am? Am I moving anywhere in life at all? And that doesn't mean that you have a different job and a different life and you live in a different house and whatever. But inside, are you a different person? How have you become more spiritual? How has that step grown? Practically. During the holiday, we say several prayers. We say a lot of prayers. Prayers are long. 
I want to talk about two aspects of the prayer so that when we come to them this Friday night and Saturday on Shabbos, uh, everyone can think a little bit to themselves about what this actually is doing. The first Friday night, the most famous service of the year, we all come out, it's Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre, which literally means all vows. All vows. Okay. Now, if you look at the text of the Kol Nidre, it seems like a very dry legal declaration releasing us from all the vows that we made this past year. Isn't there something more uplifting? Everyone's coming to synagogue for the, maybe the first time this year and all gathered together, very excited and wanting to serve God and wanting to reconnect and looking for some upliftment. Isn't there something more uplifting than a dry legal declaration that releases us from our vows? And, that, and haven't I done worse things this year? Besides being released from the vows that we made, Kol Nidre has within it a very special energy. When we say those words, we're not only released from the vows that we made that we didn't uphold. We're also being released from all improper bonds that have a hold on us. We mentioned earlier the word Isur. Isur, which means a prohibition, also means bound. When a person does something that they shouldn't do, it bounds us. We're, we're bound to the physical. We're not able to be uplifted. We're not able to ascend. We're not able to grow. It's a ball and chain. It's a lot of baggage put on us, put on our shoulders, put on our body to make us very physical, make us very steeped in the mundane uh, aspects of the world. We can't think outside the box. It, it harnesses us. It chains us. But through Kol Nidre, we're not only released from all the bonds of the vows, but all bonds should know that when Yom Kippur comes, that first moments of Yom Kippur, we are now released from all those bonds that have been holding us back this entire year. All the things that weigh us down in life, a person can now use it as a catalyst, use this moment as a start over point. There is no more ball and chain. There is no more baggage. It's time to start afresh. You can be new if you want. One of the prayers that we say several times over the course of Yom Kippur is the confessional. And if you look in the Hebrew of the confessional, all, all these things that we're confessing to God that we did, we do it in alphabetical order. The first word that we used as a confession is Allah. And the second word, Ashamnu, Bagabnu, etc., 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 all the way down the Aleph base. A, B, C, D. So, the Chetushe Harim explains that why do we do it in the Aleph base? Because if a person were to specify each of their individual sins, go on forever. So this way, at least when we say it in the Aleph base, we know that there's an end to what we're going to be saying. But in a, in a deeper aspect, they tell a story of a king and a queen. And the queen said something that wasn't very nice about the king in public. And the king got very upset. And the king decided that he's going to banish her to live with the peasants. So after a while, she lamented about what she had said. And she got herself a hold of a violin and began singing the song that was played at their wedding day. And when the king heard this song, he was so roused and recalled the love that he had for her on the wedding day that he decided to forgive her and take her back into the palace. You know, in many aspects, we are the queen. The wedding was Mount Sinai, that day that we were given the Torah. 
through our things that we shouldn't have done, we were sent away, banished. We're still outside of Israel. The olive base order of the prayers is the symphony that was played at our wedding day. Meaning, the, al the alphabet, the olive base, which are the letters that make up the Torah, are the symphony which reminds God how much He really loves us and instigates our pardon. We ask God to redeem us from exile, for both personal and collective, through reciting these prayers. Remember the wedding day, we tell Hashem. The magic number, when it comes to Yom Kippur, is five. Number five is the magic number of Yom Kippur. There are five realms of the soul, five aspects, five levels. There are also five senses in which a person can do things that they shouldn't be doing. So that being the case, there are five things, five prayer services, first of all, the only day of the year we have five prayer services. And there are five prohibitions, five things that we need to avoid doing on Yom Kippur to allow a cleansing of the five senses. Number one and two is eating and drinking. Okay? The third thing is washing and or anointing the body. We don't do those on Yom Kippur. Wearing shoes that contain leather. We don't do that on Yom Kippur. And the fifth one is um, engage in marital relations that night. Five things, five things that we refrain from doing on Yom Kippur. Why don't we wear leather shoes? When Moses confronts God at the burning bush, the first thing that he's instructed to do is to take off his shoes for the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. When Adam sins in the beginning of the Torah, the ground is cursed. The ground which grew this tree is cursed. On Yom Kippur, the ground's not cursed anymore. Just for that day, everything's lifted up. Everything's holy, everything's good. So we don't want to make any separation between ourselves and the, the holiness of the ground. God says, the ground that you're standing on now is holy. Take off your shoes. You're allowed to wear shoes that aren't leather because that's not really defined as shoes, biblically. So it's a very special day. The only day of the year we achieve the level of the angels, or potentially, if we all, we all do achieve the level of angels, but how many of us are gonna realize it and live up to it and pursue it? It's a very special day, very special energy at our fingertips. You know, in the notes of a contemporary rabbi, J.J. Hecht, he says the idea of atonement, and I wrote this on your on the, on the handouts, the idea of atonement is that it happens at one moment. Atonement is sort of a, uh, an acrostate of the word at one moment. You say it fast, atonement. Meaning that atonement happens at one moment. A person just needs to make the resolution, I'm going to be different. Things are going to be different for me. It's all about our personal resolve. And it happens, it can happen at any moment that we choose. How could it be that somebody who's walking down the past year or even their entire life doing things that they really shouldn't be doing, how is it that in one moment, at one moment, they can be granted atonement? At one moment, they can completely change everything. They're walking down the wrong path their entire life. How could it be that at one moment they can erase all of that? Because it only takes one moment to turn around. And once you turn around and take that first step, you're now looking in the right direction. It's a very powerful thing, this tshuva thing, this atonement thing, this change thing. But that's something we can do at every moment. So what's the novelty of Yom Kippur? 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, anyone can decide, I want to change. I want to take that first step in the right direction. 
What's so special about Yom Kippur then? Obviously, yes, there's more, there's more uh, excitement and enthusiasm. That's the theme of the day. But is there anything empirically in Yom Kippur that makes my first step different then than it does the rest of the year? A week and a half ago, I was in an airport. You ever go in the airport and you're wheeling your bag and as you're getting to the terminal, they have like those people movers. It's, it's not an escalator that goes up, it's just the people mover that goes forward. So one step for you is 10 steps for the guy next to you who's not on the people mover. So those are certain days in the year where we're granted that. Where that one step is like the other person's 10 step. That's many days of the year. Yom Kippur is like taking a step onto a train. Where that same step for you, all you took was one step, but the step that you took was onto the train, and now you're going a thousand miles, where the person next to you who didn't step onto the train, who missed the train, isn't anywhere at all. What would be a normal step any other time of the year on Yom Kippur, that step, that decision, that resolution of willingness and desire to change is like stepping onto the train. Imagine your destination is far away. How tragic would it be if the person didn't step onto the train? The trains are coming. The question is, are we going to step onto it? In Judaism, there's very special emphasis and a very special regard to not perfect people. Oh, oh this is my kind of religion. Not perfect people? Judaism treasures not perfect people. We don't want perfect people. That's for others. We like the not perfect people. But we like the not perfect people who are trying to achieve higher. If a person makes a resolution to do something that the perfect person doesn't even have to try for, that the not perfect person, his putting the effort in is worth a lot more to God than the perfect person doesn't even have to try. Imagine a person never tasted McDonald's cheeseburger in their life. So them not eating McDonald's cheeseburger, it's good that they don't eat it. But it doesn't, it's not hard for them. They don't have to think about it. If they walk by McDonald's, it's nothing. Then imagine the person who every day loves them some McDonald's cheeseburger. And decides, you know what? McDonald's cheeseburgers are not in line with Torah. You know what? That's going to be my step this year. That's going to be my seeking for connection to get more in line with Torah. No cheeseburgers. I'm not ready to throw in all my pots and pans and whatever. That's not, I'm not there yet. But I'm taking the one step. And even though each time he or she passes by McDonald's and smells the cheeseburger, Am I going to get sued because I'm saying McDonald's? I don't know. <laughs> it applies with any cheeseburger. They walk by and they sit and they smell the cheeseburger and their mouth starts watering and they want it. And they hold firm to their resolve. And it's hard for them. This effort is worth so much more for God, to God, than the one who, it's not a challenge for them at all. Imagine the nachas. Imagine the pleasure that God sees when one of his children says, oh, they're trying, they're trying their hardest to live in accordance with my Torah. They're not perfect, but I don't need perfect. I want effort. I want trying. Not all of us can be perfect. Probably none of us can be perfect. But we can all give real tries. Everyone has the ability to try and we shouldn't fool ourselves also. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. We have to ask ourselves, am I really trying? 
Am I really trying in life? Am I really trying in my job? Am I really trying to have a good family life? Am I really trying to be a good friend? And am I trying to be a good Jew? Or in any of those areas, or am I just kind of going through the motions? So easy to do. Have I just given myself over to rote? Or am I really trying in life? That's a personal question, a question to ask yourself, especially this time of year. This week's meditation, as we approach Yom Kippur, three bits of homework. Not really homework, you don't have to write anything. Just things to think about. First thing, and it's on your papers, be sure to do the five tasks of Yom Kippur that we talked about this week. Think about areas of, second one, think about areas of your life that could use some improvements. Some may have to think harder than others. And third, write down for yourself three practical resolutions for yourself that will strengthen you in the realm of Torah and mitzvahs. Let's, you know, this is a Torah class, we'll talk about our spiritual life over here. You could do the same thing with your, your professional life, you could do the same thing with your family life, but the homework that's coming from here is three things, practical things. How can I be a little bit better spiritually connected? How can I be a little bit more in sync with my Judaism? And it's no doubt, there is no doubt, that with these resolutions, and thoughts, when we approach Yom Kippur and the energy of forgiveness is in the air and the train is here to take us to wherever we need to go, there's no doubt that with this preparation and these thoughts that when Shabbos comes and Yom Kippur is here, we will all step on the train, we'll all be forgiven, we'll all start anew and all, in, all aspects of our life get exactly where we need to go. Have a wonderful week.